So verse 16 of chapter 3, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. And, and as we look at this for the last time, uh, I just want to go back and be reminded of his initial uh, complaint. And he said, God, you're not around. And uh, you're not doing anything about all this injustice and evil. And, and you remember the first thing that the Lord said was, I'm going to do a work in your day that if somebody told you about it, you wouldn't believe it. And it was in reference to the invasion uh, of the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, but also in reference to who else did we see? All right, Acts chapter 13. Uh, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through the man, this man forgiveness is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work which you would not believe, uh, even if someone tells it to you. So, so Paul uses it in his preaching, and he, 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 says, he says, the prophets said that. They, they didn't quote Habakkuk chapter uh, 1, uh, verses uh, uh, 4 and 5. They all didn't say that, but they all pointed to Christ. They all pointed to the, the way of salvation. Uh, and then as Habakkuk wrestles with things, he, he is told that the righteous one lives by faith. And uh, we also, uh, this answer will be easy for you, it, it not only talks about, uh, about the righteous one living by faith, uh, but uh, and the coming of the Chaldeans, but also the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, his second coming. In, in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, you remember the, the writer uh, wraps up everything and, and, and says, since or therefore brothers, uh, chapter 10, verse 19. And we looked at the bad examples and good examples uh, but what does he say? For you have need of remembrance and endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, uh, the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So Habakkuk 2, 3, and 4 has to do with every believer for all time, but especially uh, to give encouragement and strength to those in, in, in the book of Hebrews uh, to, to persevere till the coming one comes. So 
you would say, oh, well, then the prophecy of Habakkuk is all about uh, Christ's coming. Well, it's not all about Christ's coming, but the, the places where it's pointed out is definitely about Christ's coming. There can be uh, no doubt about that. And those uh, passages help us uh, to always see God's greater work in the work of Christ. Habakkuk was concerned about the Chaldeans. The, uh, uh, the uh, language up to verse 15 is graphic battle language. The entire uh, world and seas and mountains and everything is shaken. It talks about God's horses and it comes to uh, verse 16 and his reaction. And notice the four things uh, that he says. First of all, his reaction is, I hear. Just like uh, verse 2, Lord, I have heard the report of you. I hear. Remember, he, he didn't just hear casually. He didn't just say, oh, yeah, I heard the Chaldeans were going to come and invade. But there's a reaction. And notice what the reaction is. Number one, he says, my body trembles. You would say, well, it sounds like this guy's coming apart at the seams. I thought he was supposed to be some kind of prophet. Well, well, we'll get to what he thinks. My lips quiver at the sounds. Uh, one of the uh, commentators says it's because he uttered prophetic terrors. Imagine saying that. Your message is to say Israel is going to be taken over by Chaldeans and destroyed uh, and uh, Jerusalem and everything. But, but the northern kingdom is already gone. He uttered prophetic terrors. Rottenness enters into my bones, his, his frame and his strength. And he says, my legs tremble beneath me. Literally, the picture is he's a burden to himself. I, I, don't, know if I, I don't know if I can hold myself up. I'm, a, I'm having trouble here. You know, you can have all sorts of sicknesses and illnesses, but your frame, your body can still hold you up, can it? You could be sick. You could walk around with all sorts of stuff and your frame is still strong enough to, to hold you. And he says, I don't even know if that's true. My legs, there's rottenness in my bones, my lips and everything. But he's experiencing what a prophet of the same time frame did. Jeremiah says in 419, my anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart. My heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent, for I hear the sound of the trumpet and the alarm of war. They prophesied and they prophesied and they prophesied. And one day on the wall of Jerusalem, somebody said, here they come. And Jeremiah and Habakkuk both knew it was for the utter destruction uh, of that city. It's ninth psychosomatic. It's real and heartfelt sorrow. He's not an unbelieving Israelite, but he knows that unbelieving Israel will be swept away and the righteous and the ungodly at the same time because he's right in that, isn't he? He's a righteous man suffering because of what's going to happen. And we don't know how he died. We don't know how all these people died. And Jeremiah says, I've been prophesying about this for years, and now I hear the trumpet. But notice, notice what he does at the end of verse 16. Yet, 
yet I will quietly wait for the Lord. And, and I would say that it may not be out of the realm of our own experience that we felt that, that we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do with our hearts. We don't know what to do with our souls. We don't know what to do. But he says, yet, he says, despite all this, despite all that I feel, he says, I'm going to quietly wait. I'm going to quietly wait for it. While my body is falling apart, is that what you're going to do? He says, yes, that's my resolve. He doesn't discount the one. He doesn't just say, well, th this just must be some problem that I have. Maybe I, maybe I had a bad meal someplace. No, Jeremiah and him truly felt these things. We can truly feel those things and still say, yet yeah, I'm going to wait on the Lord. I could be so far out of my own resources and my own self because of what God's doing that I don't know what to do. But what do I have to do? I have to wait patiently for God. Remember, he said, in the midst of the years, this destruction would take years and years and years to correct and, and, and get rid of it. And here come, here come those troops. So this reaction is, is part of this transformation that is being worked in him. It's part of the transformation that should be worked in us, that we should understand. Uh, God is doing something in my life. There's the quietness of faith there because he says, I'm going to wait. His reaction is all this fear and trembling to the core, but then his goal is resting and waiting. And then he, trans he transfers to this poetic piece, uh, uh, separate from his reaction. But, but he looks, he looks and says, I know it's coming and I can picture what things are going to be like after it happens. And then he goes through uh, verse 17. The total devastation is described. There are no figs and no fruit. There is no production from the olive. There is no production from the field. There's no flocks in the field. And there's no herds in the stall. That's what he sees. And that's what really happened. The other prophets backed that up. Vegetation was destroyed. Flocks were taken away. They, they, their, their nation was completely upset. Their cities were all mixed with other people. All the plants for food, all the animals for food uh, are gone. It's comprehensive. It's the entire uh, structure. It's their entire economic system. Uh, just to mention, for instance, the produce of the olive failing is major. They used olive oil. They used oil for everything. To eat, for medicine, for, for all sorts of things. Uh, they had no flocks. They had no herds in the stall. The one uh, prophet you remember said there's not going to be any, there's not going to be any sheep or anything even to sacrifice. Uh, that's how uh, devastating. He pictures total loss. 
His anticipation is a realistic one because that's really what's going to happen. And it's all about total economic disaster caused by the uh, invading army. We, we have a different view, don't we? Oh, what a, I, I, had to, I had to go to a couple of stores. Aldi was out of eggs. I had to go to a couple of places. I couldn't find the bread that I wanted to get. They didn't have the cut of meat that I had. But, but could you imagine if the supermarkets were empty? Could you imagine if you couldn't get gas? We don't have any. Could we imagine that unemployment would be 50% or 60 or 70 and people just wandered around to try to see who had something that they could use or steal or take? The characteristics of his, of these words, first of all, are very visual. The picture that he's putting in our mind is a stark visual picture. He's making us read what he says and see what he says. It's devastation that you can see. It's sensory because it, it hits you in your senses and your emotions. Because who is not going to react to this that, that nothing is left? Oh, I heard that they were coming and, you know, I'll, I'll scratch out something. No, it's, it's sensory. It hits you in your senses and emotions. It's painful because, as you would imagine, there would be story after story of what happened in the devastation. In the, in the narratives of these things, uh, that was true. They were deciding whether to eat each other's children. They were eating dung. They had no water. And there's, there's stories in the narratives in the kings of, of that exactly ha happening. And it's widespread. There's no place, there's no place to go to, to get this resolved. Because the entire land uh, is devastated. Uh, then he moves on uh, to two statements uh, of faith. In verse 18, yet, here he says again, notwithstanding, no matter what happens, yet, putting all this aside, I will rejoice in the Lord. Well, how are you going to do that? How are you going to do that if everything is wiped out? But you, but, but you see his resolve. You see where he's, he's got to in his faith. You, you see the progress that's been made. He didn't do it the wrong way, but in the beginning he said, God, what are you doing? Where is your help? Where is anything? Don't you see what's going on? And God said, yeah, I do, but I'm going to do something in your day that you wouldn't believe. The second round comes, and he says, how can you allow this to happen? And God says, the righteous one will live by his faith. That's the short answer. Live by faith. And here, and here is his learning. Here is the, the goal for us. Remember, we said our Habakkuk study, we wanted to have different goals. That's the goal for us. No matter what happens, I'm going to have faith in the Lord. 
and we also have to remember it, it, it's not instantaneous. He grew, he grew during this prophecy, didn't he? Job, in all his difficulty, grew during the 38, 40 chapters of Job. He grew in his faith. He grew in his knowledge of God. He grew in his understanding, didn't he? All the questions were erased. And Job said, I see who you are now. I see it more clearly than I did before. And Habakkuk saying the same thing. I'm not arguing anymore. I'm not saying, why are you doing what you're doing? I'm not saying you can't, you can't do this. You can't punish your people with wicked, evil people. Even though the description of them is right there. They're horrible. And now he says, I don't care if there's no figs. There's no fruit. There's no produce of olives. There's no produce in the fields. I don't care if there is not a bleeding sheep or a lamb or a ram or a cow anywhere. I'm going to trust in the Lord. And we look in our minds, we, we, we think, well, well, if that happened, would I, be, would I be prepared? What would my reaction be? Well, it hasn't happened, but we can learn the lesson. And, and we can be prepared. And we can remember when we don't find those eggs that we want. And we can remember when other things are not there that we want, that we have unspeakable privileges and, and, and literally wealth compared to many other people. But that's what he says. I'll rejoice in Yahweh. And then notice the second thing. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Can you think of a, can you think of a verse that says take uh, joy in God in light of trials and, and difficulties? Well, James chapter 1, right? Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various uh, temptations and trials, knowing, and that's where he's at, knowing that your test, the testing of your faith produces patience. Something is working in here when God is working out there. Something is happening to me to prepare me for the future. And, and we'll see. God's people are different than any other people. Two statements of faith and resolve. Yet, despite all this, I'll rejoice in Yahweh and I'll take joy in the God of of my salvation. Where, where do we go or where can we go when nothing else is left? We can go to Romans 8 and Paul says, I'm persuaded that nothing is able to separate you from the love of Christ. That's basically what he's saying. I'm just going to rejoice in the God of salvation. I know who I believed in. I know that God exists. Now I know he does everything right. And despite everything that's going to happen, he is the God of my salvation. Mr. Pryor says, Habakkuk responds with two firm resolutions which turn him into a living embodiment of the vision given earlier by God. 
a living embodiment of it. That's interesting because how did he start? God, what are you doing? Don't you see what's going on? And now he's a living embodiment. He is a, a prophet in the true sense of the word. He is, he is a, a backing up what he says. He's not all talk. He's a living embodiment of the righteous shall live by his faith. And that's what he says. Everything around me wiped out. But I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to wait, first of all. Second of all, I'm going to rejoice and I'll take joy in the God of my salvation. You say, well, you, you boiled it all down to the basics. Of the, well, that's where he's at. He has come through a great struggle in his soul. He's heard from God on several uh, occasions. And now he rests in and worships God alone, regardless of all the circumstances that, that he sees that are, that are coming. He's wrestled, like I said, like Job, and found at the end his rest and peace uh, is in the Lord. Uh, he's had a deep work in, in his heart, uh, and that's what I think it, it, it's appropriate to say that. It's a deep work, isn't it? It's not just, well, I, I, I learned something today in church, or I learned something in my life that was important. No, this is, this is a deep work heart work. Where did he, where did he say that this took him? He says, it was as if my body was completely out of joint. It was as if everything was all messed up. And this became a deep work in his heart. And now he's not only content, but he rejoices. He rejoices. And there's a difference, isn't there? I can plug through I can say, well, this is God's providence. This is, this is what I have to do. But, but to say, this is good for me, this is God's work, and I rejoice in the fact that it's God's work. And, and Pryor once again says something that's important. Quiet patience is the proper atmosphere for true joy. Quiet patience. All the time I'm having quiet patience, I'm feeling impatient. But he says, quiet patience is the proper atmosphere of true joy. Without inner tranquility, rejoicing is manufactured, superficial, and strident. Strident means harsh or grating. And you would know that in, in, if you talk to that person. How are you doing with your trial? Oh yeah, fine, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. What's happening in there? What's what's really in there? The quiet patience. Yeah, I'm just resting in the Lord. But we got to be careful that our rejoicing isn't manufactured superficial and strident, like harsh and grating, like a an out of tune song. It's good for us to see examples of those who rejoice in dark times. It's 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 food for us for our meditation and our prayer. Because we might ask that question, well, what would I do in this circumstance? Well, you have to pray for the circumstance, don't you? Your closet times anticipate other times, right? You don't, right? You don't shield yourself and cover yourself. Lord, I know in the future I'm going to get whacked again. Something bad's going to happen. So now I'm praying, no. That's not necessarily so. 
We're born to trouble as spark flies upward, but we don't know. But it's good to pray for it, isn't it? Lord, if I didn't have anything, pray that I would accept that. Lord, if I had something, a sickness that would go with me the rest of my life and affect me the rest of my days, help me in that. It's not doomsday. Habakkuk's position of faith in verse 19, again, he asserts who is his strength. Verse 19, God, the Lord, Yahweh Elohim is my strength. That's the statement. God has put him there. And then uh, God's done something uh, with his feet. He's done something with his position. He's done something with his place. Where did he start out in verse 16? My body trembles, my lips quiver. There's rottenness in my bones and my legs uh, tremble beneath me. Look, 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 I'm tottering all over the place. I can't keep, I can't hold myself up. But what does he say in verse 19? He makes my feet. He puts them there. He plants them. He makes me what? Tread. God put them there. He kept them there. The, the translations use the past, the present, and the future. He will make it like it. He has made it, and he did and it's interesting because really everything is God has done. He's answered his prayer. He's calmed his soul. He's instructed him and caused him to rest in God's strength. Because he just said, I don't have any. I'm going to wait patiently, but I don't have any strength. So I need strength from someplace else. My strength has to come from the Lord. My strength has to come from uh, Yahweh Adonai. He is my strength and he's done something for me. There's images of security uh, all through the, through the scripture, uh, fortress and, and strength and, and everything, all throughout the, uh, the Psalms. Uh, but but look, what he, look what he's saying that, that he did. He made me like something else. So, uh, the, picture, uh, the picture here uh, is this deer. And deers have special kind of feet. They're designed by the Lord to be able to do things that we can't do. Right? You ever see a dog uh, chase a cat? Well, the cat just jumps on the tree. Next thing you know, he's 20 feet up. The dog, he can't do anything. You run around and bark and wait. But that's the idea. God helps us to do things that we normally wouldn't be able to do. And he uses the picture of a deer. The one time we were out in Montana, we went to one of these uh, national parks. And I had my camera, right, like everybody at a national park should. And uh, I'm, I see these mountain goats. I was like, mountain goat, right? Horns and the mountain goat beard and everything. I was like, they're real mountain goats. Well, I, I go to get a picture. And the thing is, I'm like this rocky wall face. I go to take a picture, boop, 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 boop. How did he do that? Get a little closer, do, 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 do. He's another 10 or 15 feet away. Like he was walking on a flat surface. 
But you see what God does for his people. He makes you to go places and he keeps you and protects you in places that you never, ever would be able to go. I can't do that. I have to stop at the bottom of this rocky face thing. I can't do that. I took the picture from farther away than I wanted. What's that? Oh, if you look carefully, it's a mountain goat. But he just had that ability. He didn't think about it. He didn't say, I'm going to get away from this guy with a camera. He just moved and did it. And Habakkuk says, that's what God's done for me. He's made me different. He's made my feet like the deer's that I can move away from this trial. I can move away from this difficulty. I can move away from all the turmoil of my heart. The high places represent safety and protection. Uh, David re retreated to high places. Uh, Deuteronomy, there's a reference to the high place. Isaiah 58, the sum uh, of the Lord's day, the sum, and God says, I'm going to cause you to ride on the high places of the earth. What does that mean? That the Lord's day will be such a blessing, it'll be as if you're transported to someplace else, a place of safety, a, a place of goodness, a place that you know only God could take my soul and put it there. Every Sabbath, here, in no matter what condition that we're in, notice, he makes my feet like the deer's. Secondly, and makes me tread on high places. I normally wouldn't do that. I normally wouldn't be able to do that. I normally would not be able to follow that creature and go up there in those heights. But, but God made him do it. Put him in a place of safety. And God gives his people the ability to go where others cannot go. That's the importance. There's Habakkuk, the picture of the mountain goat. He's safe and protected. And here I am on the, on the surface, an unbelieving Israelite, an unbelieving Jew. Jew. And what's going to happen to me? Destruction, eternal destruction. And where is he? He's on the high places of the earth because the Lord put him there. And he knows that God is his strength, not himself. He didn't say, well, in times of crisis, I've got to get those things that they sell online. I've got to get those things. They're called survival packs. That's what I need. Remember Y2K? One of our relatives had canned food and flashlights and all sorts of stuff. And then I reminded her that in the Pacific somewhere, it's going to turn to 2,000 hours and hours and hours before uh, us. And we'll know exactly as it comes across to Australia and, and Asia and Europe what's going on. And nothing happened. Habakkuk didn't say, I need a survival kit. He said, my strength is God. Yeah, but didn't you see everything's wiped out? What if two, two, Y2K was a disaster? Where else are you going to go? Who can put your feet? Who can make your feet like the deer's? Who can put you in a place of safety? Only God. Romans 8 again. Are you safe in Christ? Is there anything? that can separate you from the love of Christ. And he ticks off all those things, right? 
peril, nakedness, sword, sounds like what you could face if the Babylonians came. I have learned in all things to be content. He said, all things through Christ that strengthens me. That's what uh, Paul said. There's real struggle. There was real prayer. And the revelation and instruction uh, has to produce this. But then he says, uh, my faith rests secure. So just some lessons where, as we uh, close. Uh, Remember his example. Remember his example. He, he worked through difficulties with prayer. And he was honest with God in prayer. But God didn't say, anybody that talks to me like that deserves to be wiped out. God listened to him because he knew that that is a real struggle of the human soul. We get that bad we get that bad news about our heart. You need a triple bypass, this, that, or the other thing. That's the bad news with the human soul. The human soul is, is out to the edge of their capabilities of understanding. Well, what is going to happen to me? And he works through difficulty. And then we have to remember, what is he doing at the end? I'm going to write all this down. I'm going to write this as a psalm. I'm going to write this as poetry that people can sing for the rest of eternity, for the, well, for the rest of the, the world. And, and we sing and we study and we look at it. 2023, those words, God willing, speak to us and, and they're written on our heart because of his resolve. Uh, there's also an example of growing faith. And his, his faith went in steps. And, and maybe took a step back when he said, my body is so out of joint, I can't do anything. But the resolve was, yet I will wait patiently for the Lord. First, he didn't understand what God was doing. Then all that graphic picture of battle made him just tremble. What is going to happen? And we should resolve to trust God at all times. There, there are times, there are times in our lives when I... I it seems like it, it, it seems like uh, our lives are like a jigsaw puzzle. You ever work on a jigsaw puzzle and, and, and it's just like it's kind of driving you a little nuts. There's times when you just you'd like to sweep it off the table. I can't find this piece. Where does this go? Where does that go? Well, sometimes faith is like that. Those pieces that you need, they're on the table but you just can't find them yet. Sometimes it's like that, isn't it? And, and that's what happened. His faith was growing. And sometimes maybe it's even like that with us. Oh, there it is. It goes right here. And then we can look back and say, God, help me. God, help me. I couldn't find the pieces. I felt lost. I felt like my body was falling apart. And God helped me through those things. We need to remember, thirdly, not only his example in working through difficulties with prayer and his faith that was growing, but his honesty, integrity, and sincerity. And it's striking, isn't it? You would say, how can somebody honestly say to God, I don't know what you're doing and you're just 
forgetting about all of us and you're not doing anything. How, can, how is that possible? But he was honest. He displayed integrity and sincerity. And when God said, no, this is the way things are going to be, he said, all right. And then he rejoiced in trial. He was an example, working through things in prayer, growing faith, honesty, integrity, sincerity, rejoicing in trial. James, consider it all joy. And then he demonstrated uh, prophetic leadership, pastoral leadership, if you would. He demonstrated leadership that the people needed at that time. Somebody, you remember, had to read what he wrote down. You remember what God said in chapter 2. Write it down so the one that runs can read it. Make it so clear that everybody can see what's going to happen. And either, either you were running by and you saw it, oh, the Babylonians are coming, or, or you looked and you went and you told everybody else. And, and then uh, he was an example. And then finally... Finally, all his interaction was with God. The Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, my God. Didn't go over here, right? He didn't say, well, why don't you go into my handmaid and have a child? Let's try that. That plan B didn't work out. Well, well let's, let's try something else. Let's get our survival kits. We'll see if we can make it. No, all his interaction, his focus is, is on God. To wrap up, Spurgeon says, No one knows how sweet honey is till he tastes it. He's talking about trials and difficulties, though. And even so, the sweetness of true religion cannot be learned by mere hearing. We must try it for ourselves. And I remember those slogans, try Jesus. That's an abomination. If you have faith in Christ, Jesus will try you. God will try you. It's not opposite. It's not you try it, like I tried parasailing, or I tried this, or I tried that. That's an abomination. You don't try the Trinity. You don't try God's providence. You don't check it out and see whether you like it or not. It's not mere hearing. We must try it for ourselves. We have to be down there in the trenches, so to speak. You say, well, I've already been in 15 or 20 trenches. So that's right. And now you could say, well, I got out of 15 or 20. And the next one may be coming up, but that's, that's where my help is going to come from. Then he prays, Spurgeon prays, O Lord, help all in this family. He's talking about his congregation. Help all in this family to prove the power of faith in Jesus and the efficacy of prayer to God for themselves. For themselves. Oh, I sat under Spurgeon's ministry. Oh, yeah? Have you, have you proven the power and efficacy of prayer to God for yourself? Not where I went. Who I know. 
I know Yahweh Elohim. That's my strength. That's my God. Let's pray. Father, help us in these things. We're thankful for Habakkuk. We pray as we continue to transition that you would prepare us to cover the life of another prophet next week. We ask you would write these things on our souls. We see uh, patently, Lord, that obviously these are very important things for us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen.